Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. I'm joined by Kevin Flaherty. We got a big Sunday podcast, lots to break down. Um, high school recruiting, transfer portal recruiting, and then we'll end it with a little bit of talk about the All-America Bowl. And Deshaun Warner, who had a very good game on Saturday. The timing of that game was unfortunate. It overlapped <laughs> with the basketball game but just a little bit. Um, but that's one to DVR, and I'll be going back and watching that later today but kevin i don't think did we talk since new year's eve no yes we did we did talk after yeah, new year's yeah so we did i've already wished you a happy new year i saw you yeah. at barbecue on friday but in the the 72 hours since i last saw you how have you been <laughs> i've been been pretty good yesterday was a packed sports day i mean not just yeah. you know ku you know playing tcu in basketball but you know you had the start of Big 12 play, which was just madness, you know, start a conference play for for a lot of leagues. You had the All-America Bowl, you had NFL games, you know, just sort of that time of year where you've got 8 billion things kind of firing uh, all at once. Uh, what uh, what did you wind up doing yesterday? I'm guessing you were you were on hand for said TCU game. I was. I was all basketball. That, that was me yep. yesterday. It was a <laughs> lot of folks on basketball, and there was a – a certain play at the end of the game that caused me to write extra stuff about basketball. <laughs> so I, I wonder what I'm talking about here, Kevin. Um, but yeah, let's dive yeah. into this, Kevin. We've, we've got some breaking news here um, as we're starting to record this. Malachi Kirby, a linebacker target for Kansas, a three-star recruit, four-star in the 24-7 sports composite. He has committed to Kansas for KU. It's the second Verbal commitment in the class of 2025, joining David McComb, um, the, the quarterback who committed to KU all the way back before the start of this past season after he took some visits. Um, for Kirby, this is, I think, Kevin, this is like the ideal high school recruitment, I feel like, nowadays, where yeah. KU started recruiting him last April. He had a really good sophomore season um, with Waukee Senior there in the Des Moines area. And KU got him on campus for a camp. The coaches worked with him. That was a camp I was at, you know, Kirby really stood out. He worked with the linebackers and Chris Simpson. He also worked with the defensive ends later on in the camp when they got to one-on-one portion. I thought he looked really good. The coaches really liked him. And ever since then, he's been a big priority. So KU was able to get him on campus for a game this past fall. He was there for the K-State game. And then he comes back for a junior day, decides to shut down his recruitment. So, for KU, it's another guy that, that's got multiple Power 5 offers, Kevin. You know, we talked about this a lot on National Signing Day. KU is beating teams or beating other Power 5 schools 
four recruits. Kirby had offers from Iowa State, Missouri, and Kansas State. And I think overall, this is a, a nice addition for KU. Kevin, what's kind of your, your first take at what KU is getting in Malachi Kirby? Yeah, you kind of drop what Chris Simpson wants, right? And it looks a lot like Malachi Kirby mm. when you look at uh, the guys that he's pursuing. They're guys that have great frames, you know, have some length to them. Um, you want guys that that have athleticism. And then some of these guys have shown sort of athleticism across multiple positions. You know, that's mm -hmm. something you've see, seen here. And another thing that's been really interesting to watch is – his pursuit of guys with ball skills from different positions. You know, Malachi is a guy that plays wide receiver and tight end in addition to playing linebacker and kind of an edge role in high school. You look at John John Kamara in last year's class was a cornerback before spinning down uh, to linebacker. And, and so guys that have had a, you know, the opportunity to play in space, guys that have had the opportunity to make plays on the ball when it's in the air, in addition to, sort of what you would consider more linebacker skills, you know, lining mm -hmm. up and, and hitting somebody or rushing the passer or things like that. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's kind of all of those tools put together in, in sort of a little bit bigger, longer frame that uh, that makes him seem like a real Chris Simpson guy. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think the athleticism is something that to me really stands out. You look at more or less every linebacker that KU's gone after in the high school ranks since Simpson took over the, the linebacker position role um, solely, it's guys that are athletic. You go back to Logan Brantley, right? In the first cycle that KU really had to recruit guys, he's a really good athlete. He was a guy that also played multiple positions, right? He was a guy that yep. played safety and linebacker. You mentioned John John Kamara being a cornerback and a linebacker. You got Kirby, who's been more of a defensive end and a linebacker. So I love the positional versatility that these guys have playing different spots, seeing the field from different positions. I think that's really huge because you go into college with a more broad picture of what the football field looks like compared to if you had just played middle linebacker your entire high school career. Now, when I look at Kirby, like the athleticism really stands out. He did track last sure. year at some pretty decent track times. I think the ability to run and be athletic and play in space is just something that I think these coaches are really trying to go after. And I, I think back to something that Lance Leipold said, and I, maybe it was on national signing day where the coaching staff now is a great idea of what it takes to play in the big 12, where if you go back to that first high school class and early on, it was trying to, they were trying to figure out what it takes to play in the big 12. And now they know, Hey, at the linebacker position, you need athletes. Right. That was the one thing I think yeah. this year at times that you saw, whether it be with someone like Rich Miller, maybe even a little bit of Tywan Berryhill, the, the athletic pop wasn't there. And you look at some of the high level teams playing college football right now, Kevin, they've got linebackers at a pop. And I think that's what Kirby brings is that athletic ability. And I think long term, you know, size is going to be something I'll be wanting to watch. Uh, we've got them listed at 218. I, I think probably a shade under that if I had to guess. And just getting bigger is going to be the big key. But just consistently, Kevin, like I feel like KU's going after guys that are kind of just balls of clay to some degree, where sure. they've got really good skill sets and really good traits, but they're not super refined, whether it be physically or with their technique. And those are the things that can get honed in over time with Matt Gildersleeve or the coaches. So I really like this addition. And look, getting recruiting started early in a class is huge. We saw that payoff with KU. In the 2024 class, getting guys committed early gets that ball rolling and you get guys starting to talk to each other and it helps build that long lasting relationship. So 
I think that's pretty big, but I want your take Kevin on the ball of clay comment. Like, sure. do you agree with that? That It seems like caves getting a lot of guys that, Hey, maybe they're not going to be like plug and play as a freshman, but long-term it feels like they've got the traits to be really, really good players. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that that raises your ceiling to some extent because hmm. you can teach a kid to play a position, you know, teach him the nuances, things like that. And, and I think this is a really good developmental staff. You know, it, it's a staff that's really good at teaching. Mm-hmm. It, it's something they enjoy doing. They enjoy focusing on. Uh, but you can't teach a guy to be fast. You can't teach a guy <laughs> to be big. You know, you can't put him on a on a medieval, you know, rack or something and stretch them out to give them extra length it's just not allowed and so uh, when, when you look at all that i i 100 agree with that i think it's the way it's the way to go uh because mm-hmm. i i think you know you can get somebody that maybe isn't as big isn't as fast but is a really good football player and, and not anything against that kid but he's somewhat tapped out right because you're you're never going to be able to make him you know, faster. And so if the other guy also knows what he's doing and the other guy is faster or bigger or whatever else, that guy's the the guy that's, that's going to win, you know? And so it, it's, uh, I a hundred percent agree with your comment. I think it's interesting too. Um, Malachi is a, an Iowa state legacy. You know, he, his dad, uh, Brent Kirby was a heck of a defensive tackle at Iowa state. I know, I'm dating myself a little bit here. I actually covered the 2004 game um, in mm-hmm. Ames, which Brent Kirby basically won for for Iowa State. I, I think it wound up being uh, 13 to seven or, or something like that. Iowa State won by less than seven points, and Iowa State's touchdown came from Malachi Kirby's dad scooping up a fumble and, and running it in, and, and so. When you when you look at, at that, it, it's kind of funny how these things you know move around and everything. In addition yeah. to that, Iowa State offer though, um, and, and being an Iowa State legacy, Kansas State offer, Missouri offer um, for for Kansas to go head to head with its rivals as well for for a kid and come out with them. It really worked out well. And, and I liked your comment earlier about this is the way this staff would probably love recruitments to go in terms of they're really good relationship staff on the recruiting trail and having that extra time to build that relationship, mm-hmm. to see a kid multiple times in person to be able to get your hands on him and coach him in a camp setting and still be able to have time to build that relationship after that. I mean, this, they, they couldn't have drawn it up much better than, than the way it came out with Malachi. Yeah, totally. And here's a good story about the way that played out with his dad, too. And you can read the full story on, on Fog.net. It's live right now. You know, I think Curvy talked to his dad early on about the recruiting process and what exactly does he want. And I think Malachi wanted to pave his own path at a different school. What I think is really cool is that his dad was totally on board with that. He wasn't getting pressured. Oh, well, you need to go to Iowa State because that's where I want. It was find your own place. And after Malachi went to the K-State game um, with, I believe, his mother and brother, that was something where they really loved it. And I think Malachi told me he called his dad after, and his dad was telling him, hey, you should commit. Like, if you like it there, you should commit. And Malachi wanted to take one more visit, went back to KU for the junior day, 
and again, continue to love it, got more of a feel for the academic side of things, right? That's really big for Malachi and his family. And from there, right, it's game over. So I thought it was really cool that, you know, his dad wasn't pressuring him to go to Iowa State and was actually pushing him to commit to Kansas after he saw the K-State game and started to get that, you know, that at-home feeling from being in Lawrence. So again, Kevin, I think it's a really good way for KU to start the class looking at sure. positions of need long-term, you know, KU's going to lose a lot of linebackers after next year, right? Tywan Berryhill, Cornell Wheeler, J.B. Brown, um, Alex Rake. Like, these are all guys that are going to be gone after next season. So starting to replenish that with high school guys, that's what KU wants to do. I think it's a really good way to start. So any final thoughts on Malachi and, and what KU's getting? No, no. I, I think you you hit the nail right on the head. And, and you know, it, it's – there's the the old comment about um, a guy who runs to first base. You have two guys who run to first base in 3.9 seconds. One has perfect form. One has poor form. Which would you take? You take the guy with poor form because theoretically you teach that guy how to run correctly. He's going to get there faster than 3.9 seconds. Mm. That kind of fits in uh, what with what this KU staff is doing in terms of I'm not saying Kirby's not a good football player. He is but they're taking guys with the athletic traits to where if they teach them the nuances, teach them how to play football correctly, they're going to get to first base more quickly than, than the other guy. Totally. Well, Kevin, since the last time we talked, the transfer portal window has closed and it's the way it works nowadays, right, Kevin? So undergraduate players, guys that have not graduated college have to enter a portal during the window. And so the window is closed for undergraduate players. Now, players who can enter the portal between now and the next time the window opens, I believe it's in April, uh, are graduate transfers. So guys that have graduated. So obviously there are players like that that can graduate and enter the portal at any time. But for the time being, you know, KU has lost a total of six players to the transfer portal. Five are scholarship players. I will run through them um, right now going from the first guy to enter to the most recent. So Will Huggins, uh, a tight end local guy, went in the portal right as it opened. Um, Tanaka Scott, the wide receiver, who I think we've talked a fair amount on the podcast, he went in the portal um, the next week. And then there was a, a bit of time before KU lost. I think it's probably one of the bigger um, players to the portal, which is Gage Keys, uh, the defensive tackle, who was um, a pretty big part of KU's rotation. He is going to Auburn. We can talk about that in a little bit because I got a story to tell. Um, and then there's Armage Reed Adams who went in the portal new year's Eve is when he announced it. He went in a couple of days later and then Spencer Lovell, um, another offensive lineman. So for KU, you know, you look at the broader scope of the big 12, Kevin and KU is tied for the fewest portal entries of any team in the new big 12. I think that in and of itself speaks volumes about the work KU has done with NIL to keep it's really good players around. And also I think it speaks to the culture that guys who maybe are on the fringes of playing aren't looking to jump ship because they'd like it at KU and it's a good place to be. So I think that stands out. Um, but when you look at this list, Kevin, like what do you think about what KU is losing? Cause I, I think losing Reed Adams and keys, those are two big losses that I think, might go a little bit under the radar just because they play in the trenches and they're not flashy positions. But I, I think those are two kind of low key, um, pretty notable losses. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, Reed Adams was probably one of KU's better NFL prospects. You know, when you mm -hmm. look at what he's going to do in an NFL combine setting for a bigger guy, he's going to show up, he's going to have great wingspan. You know, he's going to put up really good, you know, agility numbers and things like that. But even beyond that, you know, he had some really good moments this year. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. saying it was always there or that it was consistently there. But I, I think that when we've seen the way guys have developed under uh, Scott Fuchs, you know, you really see that, you know, guys sort of flash before they are there all the time consistently. I think there is a very real chance that he could have come back and been a really high level interior guy specifically. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, he had a chance to play tackle in the bowl game, you know, maybe struggle a little bit in the bowl game and offensive tackle. Um, I, I think he probably wanted a chance to play some tackle uh, and, and maybe that wasn't going to be there as much at Kansas with the guys that they had coming back. When you look at Bryce Cable do um, when you look at Calvin Clements and the job he did in the bowl game, which we, we talked about it in the previous episode. If you want to go back and, and watch that uh, gauge keys, I, I think, you know, mm -hmm. was, was a dent because I, I think, you know, when you look at that defensive tackle group, um, Tommy Dunn and uh, and DJ Withers obviously have continued to grow. They're they're probably what the staff would like in terms of how the point in which they entered the rotation. You know, sort of got plays here and there. Their role just sort of growing as they got better and got more ready for it. At the same time, I, I thought Keys was kind of a unique talent to that group in terms of. Uh, I realized the um, the sack numbers weren't there. But when you watch the tape, he was a good pass rusher. He was a guy that, you know, was able to generate some hurries, some pressure here and there. He had a tackle or two of quarterbacks, you know, sort of right around the line of scrimmage that I think he didn't get credit for a sack exactly, but it was basically a, a sack or, or a near sack. And so he was somebody that I thought in that group in particular really had a space and a role where heading into year two and a lot of times in the second year is really when you see these transfers thrive because yep. they're comfortable. They've been going to that school now for a year. They've been in the program for a year. They know what they're doing, you know, sort of in all facets of life. And so I thought Gage Keys was a potential breakout guy uh, coming into this yeah. year. And so uh, missing out on him is going to hurt. Uh, as far as the other guys, you know, Spencer Lovell, blow to depth, you know, as a guy that, you know, could, uh, could have certainly helped them out and maybe join the rotation, you know, um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, Will Huggins and, and Tanaka Scott kind of occupy a, a similar spot a little bit. And that both of them were guys that, that had some potential, you know, maybe you saw flashes from them at times, you know, Tanaka Scott had a few nice plays on Saturdays, Huggins, you know, of course, led the team in receiving, what was it, a couple spring games ago, I think. And you were always kind of hoping for both of those guys to to put it together, you know, and, and sort of, you know, hey, when, when's it going to come together? When are these guys going to, you know, show off sort of their ability or, or whatnot? Mm -hmm. and, and they never really quite got there. <clears throat> yeah, so – I can't get in trouble for this because it, it's not anything that, you know, this happens <laughs> everywhere. Um, so about Gage Keys, 
Kevin here. If you're wondering about how rampant tampering is right now, here's a story for you. So obviously Gage graduated and had a really good year at Kansas. And from everyone I've talked to, Gage loved it at KU, was having a great time, liked the coaches, liked his teammates, and liked the role and was continuing to grow in that role. He, he was on track to start next year, right? He played yep. the 13th most snaps of any player on KU. With Devin Phillips leaving, it would have left an even bigger role for him next year. So playing time would have been there for Gage. But the day he graduated, that's when the phone call started to come. Other schools showing interest, saying, hey, you go in the portal, we'll be interested. And I don't know if they're calling Gage directly or someone close to him, but the call started to come in as soon as he graduated and started posting on social media about him graduating. And then sure enough, soon after, you know, he goes in the portal and all of a sudden, oh, Auburn offers. And then he's going to go on a visit to Auburn and then he commits to Auburn and he's going to get a really nice NIL figure. And I don't blame guys for getting money, right, Kevin? Sure. Like there is no guarantee that any of these players is going to the NFL. There's no guarantee of that. So I do not blame anyone for chasing a bag, looking to get paid. That is how a free market works. And that's what this has become. But this is just a result of the way this has happened, right? Where it's basically turned into pay to play. And that's not what NIL is supposed to be. And it's kind of, a bummer that that's what it's turning into where the poaching happens and things like that. So it's definitely a, a good example of how things are being done in the, the power two conferences right now, where they have the financial resources to go and get depth players, right? Cause that's what gauge was for KU this past season, a depth player from another power five team that has upside and go get him to then be a depth player at your school on a bigger NIL figure. So it's, it's crazy, Kevin. Like it is literally like you hear people say the wild, wild west. And I've typically rolled my eyes at that. Like, okay, yeah, really. But it, that's what it is. And, you know, I don't have the clip here, but Brian Borland, I thought hit the nail on the head when he was talking about how KU recruits the portal. I want to talk about that in a second. Um, But as it pertains to Armage, he's taken visits to Tennessee and Texas A&M since he went in the portal, you know, like the, you just, you guys can do the math here. You, you know, it, it's not that hard to do. You look at where the guys visit. If it's happening quick, you know, again, I'll let you do the math. So I think overall, like this is a, a blow for KU. And I think in the long run, um, depth is something that will be hurt by NIL for KU because other teams can play, K, can pay KU's depth players more. And so for guys that don't have, the nailed on NFL future, like there are some guys that are going to want to take that and rightfully so. Right. And I think in the long run, you know, Caves collective has continued doing work. I think they've done a very good job this off season. We could talk about that in a second, but overall for KU, I look at these departures offensive line now in the transfer portal is going to be um, a really big need, but elsewhere KU has also filled some other needs. KU right now has three guys committed um, Deshaun Hanica from Iowa state. There's Dylan Woodkey from Youngstown State, and then Devin Dye from Utah State. So Hanukkah fits into the scholarship slot left by Will Huggins. He has one year of eligibility left. He was really good at Iowa State during the 2022 season, but then he was um, involved in the gambling uh, investigation 
He was never formally indicted and he's been cleared to play. So he is all good. He's someone that athletically is going to bring a lot to KU six, six. I mean, like in terms of a receiving threat, like he is going to be really, really good. And he's someone that I think KU is going to have a lot of fun with because he can do some things that Mason Fairchild's really good. and was a really good player for KU, but just athletically, I think he's a step above what Fairchild brought. Um, Woodkey is going to replace kind of one of those spots at defensive end, whether it be Hayden Hatcher, Patrick Joyner, um, just in terms of the scholarship chart. And then Devin Dye is someone that had a lot of production at Utah State last year, and he's going to come in and compete at safety with Kenny Logan gone. You know, OJ Burroughs, Marvin Grant are both back, but there's also the opportunity right here for for more depth, and I think that's what Devin Dye is. So for these three guys, Kevin, um, what, what do you kind of think about what KU's getting here, and then we can talk about the the needs going forward after that. Yeah, Wookie's a really nice player against the run. I, I think, you know, if you're looking for a defensive end to replace Austin Booker, that guy's probably not in the portal. And if he is, he's probably not going to Kansas at this point. That was that was a one-of-one evaluation. Um, when mm-hmm. you look at the fact that Booker really physically didn't take anything off the table. You know, Lonnie Phelps was a guy who was coming up from a lower level, you know, wasn't as tall, wasn't as long, you know, it, there was a little bit more projection I- involved there, even with the success that he had had at Miami, Ohio. When you looked at Booker, even though he hadn't played at Minnesota, you could see on tape, you could see that, Hey, this is, this is a guy who's a legitimate six, five, six, six has tremendous length has great athleticism for that length. He's been at a power mm-hmm. five school, you know, all of these different things. And so, that guy, that version of Austin Booker, you know, probably isn't going to slip to to Kansas uh, again. And it, it was a terrific evaluation. I, I think when you're looking at, you know, how they're going to fill this defensive end spot, um, I, I think they probably aren't aren't done yet. Uh, but I do think that Woodkey fills a really nice spot. He was a guy that, you know, had 12 tackles for loss at Youngstown State this year. Most of them were against the run, and you need that guy out there who can help set that edge and and everything else. And, and so I, I do think you know he was a nice pickup. I think Hanukkah is probably the best pickup though when mm-hmm. you look at what he brings, what they're going to be able to do uh, with him. You know, like you said, Mason Fairchild absolutely squeezed every last drop out of the orange when it comes to what his ability is. You know, he he was a really good football player at Kansas and everything else. Hanukkah, mm-hmm. though, is the type of tight end that at 6'6", he's still a good enough athlete that he can run away from linebackers if you have him running across the field. And he did that at Iowa State. You can see mm-hmm. that on tape. And so he's a different kind of guy than than kind of what they've had. Obviously, Jared Casey you know, plays sort of that – H-back, fullback, tight end, sort of hybrid type thing. Um, he's he's kind of a unique box into him himself in terms of what he does and what he brings. But in terms of what everybody wants at tight end, in terms of that 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guy who can really run, run away from linebackers as a matchup problem, that's Hanukkah. And, and so mm-hmm. I do think I agree with you in that they'll have a lot of interesting ways to use him when you look at, at where Grimes had a lot of success throwing the ball uh, at Baylor, it was play action. And you think about the ability to run play action and, and drag Hanukkah across the field, get him down the seam 
a lot of different things like that. He's he's an exciting weapon uh, to to kind of join, you know, all those receivers coming back, all those other offensive weapons. Uh, I think there's a very real chance that if he doesn't wind up starting, I still think that he's somebody that's going to get a lot of time because it's going to be really tough for them to leave him off the field with his ability. Totally, totally. And I think, you know, Woodkey's someone that's going to give you some extra strength, I think, at the edge on the strong yep. side. And I think you look at Jeremy Robinson and, like, having someone that can help spell him because he's someone that is – he was more available this past season than he had been any other season prior. And he played the season banged up through periods. And I think sure. having another guy that can spell him on first down every once in a while or take over on a drive, like Woodkey's going to play a lot. And long-term, KU still is going to get another defensive end because you look at the rotation, Kevin, of what KU did this past season, right? It was kind of, you know, Robinson and Booker. And then you had Patrick Joyner and Hayden Hatcher. Well, you've lost three of those guys and overall caves lost over 50% of its snaps at defensive end from this past season. So this is a situation now where, you know, KU basically has to replace to some degree kind of two or three guys. And so they've replaced one. They're going to go after another defensive end in the portal. And then a lot's going to ride on Dylan Brooks this off season. Like he's going to have to be on the Austin Booker. We're, We're turning this train around and in, in getting him physically developed and getting him ready to take that next step because he has all the traits he's just like booker he's got the length yep. he's got the athletic ability it's just about kind of putting it all together and so this is the off season for him to do that but outside of that KU still needs another defensive tackle yep. that for me is a big concern and then you've got a linebacker spot open as well and look kevin i've got the dates here right next to me so right now we're going to be in a dead period, right? For the next couple of days. Um, and then I believe this Friday and this Saturday is when the visits are going to open up again um, for a, a little while. And KBN's class is on January 16th. So that's when these guys that have already committed to KU, that's when they're going to be showing up to class. But yeah. KU has up until February 5th to add another player. And this is because this is when the enrollment period ends um, for KU with needing a waiver. And if you need a waiver, though, they'll be able to get a waiver for someone that's going to enroll like this in this situation. So there is time for KU to fill some of these needs, right? Defensive tackle being one, linebacker being one, defensive end being one, and then I think probably two offensive linemen. So, you know, you're looking at basically as many as five, maybe six spots for KU to fill. Like there's a lot to do. And I'm not sure if KU is going to be able to get every single one of those filled before spring football, but you know, KU is going to work really hard to try and get all of those done. So I think in terms of needs for KU, like I'm scared about the front seven right now. I'll say it like it is like this front seven now looks exactly like it did in 2021. And that's not good. So it, or and even, you know, to some degree, 2022. So I, KU's got to do some work here and the coaches are, you know, working around the clock to do it. So it's just something that keeping an eye on if KU's able to get some of these guys in, because if they aren't going into spring ball, it's going to be a little, I'm going to be a little concerned about where things are headed. Yeah. I think defensive tackle is such a huge thing because I don't know that a lot of people realize just how good Devin Phillips was a year ago and and Mm -hmm. just what he did for their run defense. When you look at, the jump that KU made in defense. And it was a sizable jump 
from 2022 to 2023. Mm -hmm. A lot of that had to do with the fact that people couldn't just line up and run the ball right over the top of them all the time anymore. Some of that came from Devin Phillips. Some of that came from getting a little more athletic, you know, at the second level with the addition of J.B. Brown and and some of those things. But you got to add athletic linebacker depth, you know, to what they have. You've got to add another J.B. Brown, you know, basically to, to that group at least. You know, you hope Logan Brantley takes a step forward, you know, but it's hard to count on a guy in his second year in the program. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I, I think the back end looks really, really good, especially with yeah. – with Dye joining, you know, Marvin Grant, O.J. Burroughs, and all the young talent they have at safety. You look at cornerback bringing back both guys, and then some of the depth guys that they have at cornerback have a chance to be, you know, pretty good moving forward. And so the back end looks good. I agree with you. The front seven is the most worrisome part of the entire team, I think. Um, At this point, I think on the offensive line, even with losing Reed Adams, even with losing – uh, level. I, I think they've got the guys still want to get a center. I think, you know, obviously in that group, but I think they've got guys where they can, they can be pretty good up front. And then mm-hmm. obviously the other offensive positions you're you're looking terrific, you know, I mean, in terms of you hope Jalen stays healthy, obviously mm-hmm. there are potentially some quarterback depth issues, but running back, you're looking great wide receiver. You're looking great the addition of Hanukkah to that tight end room, you've got a lot of guys there. And so, yeah, I do think the front seven and then potentially getting, you know, a starting interior offensive lineman, hopefully a center, you know, would would be among those priorities. Totally. So I think I can lead that right into the returning players that Kansas has. And this is where a lot of the NIL focus for KU has been getting Jalen Daniels to come back. Yep. Devin Neal still hasn't announced anything publicly, but uh, Pete Dammel, who doesn't get things wrong when it comes to Kansas, um, has reported that he will return. You look at the three wide receivers coming back. You can look at defense, Melo Dotson, Kobe Bryant. They're all returning. KU is putting a lot of its focus on the current roster and keeping the guys that helped make this 2023 season a nine-win season, a special year. Make sure those guys are the ones that are sticking around so then they're not going to the portal trying to go find someone that can be as good as those guys are. So that is so positive. I'm fascinated to see when the returning production numbers come out, Kevin, Sure. what Kansas looks like. Because I think it'll be another offseason where there's a split, where offensively Cave's going to rank top 10 maybe, yep. just because they're not going to the, lose the Mason Fairchild basically. The- the one, well, the one thing that would really hurt them from a production number standpoint is the fact that Jalen Daniels was not only played in three games. And yep. so you're losing, you know, you're losing, you know, 10 games of starting yeah. quarterback production, basically. Uh, although Cole Ballard did play quite a bit in two games, so it'd be maybe like half a season's worth. But yeah, I think that's going to be the other thing is you lose Fairchild, you lose, you know, Technically, your starting quarterback, even if he wasn't your starting quarter, I'm saying from a production yeah. standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that'll be the one part of it. But I think that even then, I, I think you aren't too worried about losing that production when you were getting, you know, a healthy Jalen Daniels back on the other side of things. Yeah, totally fair. And obviously, you know, Dominic Pooney and, and Mike Nowitzki are sure. gone too. So again, KU is going to return 
key positions on offense and replacing yep. those defensively is going to be huge and we'll see what happens. And I think Brian Borland put it really well when we talked to him um, a couple weeks ago where, you know, he's talking about the portal and recruiting and what Kansas has to do. And he mentioned that KU is very much looking at the portal. They're always looking at players for positions of need. They have plans in place for different scenarios. The game KU is not getting into right now is the, you know, the, the pay to play. Right. Sure. The guys that are going in the portal looking to get paid. You know, I think Borland put it as we're not looking for guys that are trying to get rich quick, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed that quote. Um, And I think it's the right way to go. Kevin, I want to get your take on this because I think it's the right way to go if you're a program like Kansas. If you do not have infinite funds like a, you know, a Texas A&M or Michigan or one of these big name schools in college football, this is the way you have to do it, I think, because moving your resources to the current players keeps the current roster happy. And it also shows to incoming players that, hey, if you come here and you play well, you will be able to make money off of your performance. And we will take care of you if you impact winning at this school, which you believe you do because you're going to pick to come here. And I think that's the way to go compared to playing the game of going out and paying to get recruits to come to your school. I think about a program like Ole Miss right now and what they've done with the transfer portal where they've got the number one portal class. That's going to cost a lot of money. And I'd be fascinated to know what that locker room is going to be like next season if some of those guys that are currently on Ole Miss's roster feel like they haven't been taken care of to the same degree that, you know, uh, some of those incoming transfers have. So for KU, I think it's the right approach. I think it's one that's going to help team culture overall because it keeps guys continuing to kind of look at the carrot in front of you, which is winning football games and playing to your best ability because you know if you do that, you're going to be taken care of. So for me, it's the right way to go about it. Obviously, it's not perfect. KU's not going to get, you know, five stars in the portal and they're not going to get guys that, you know, have offers from everywhere in the portal because those guys cost a lot of money. Like this isn't pocket change either. Like there's guys KU's gone after that have said, yep, $250,000. That's the offer I've gotten from other schools. That's the money we're talking here. It's big bucks. So I think KU's doing this the right way and taking care of guys that are on campus. Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head, not just from a one, there's not unlimited funds part, but two, I think the other part that, that made a lot of sense uh, that you brought up was the culture, right? Because the way that Kansas is building this program as a developmental program, you know, in terms of bringing in high school guys, they stick around year after year, they move their way up the roster. That's, that's the way to handle your NIL too. So that people who are in that locker room, you know, if, if you're the number three running back, you can look up and say, well, Devin Neal's getting paid but also I see why Devin Neal is getting paid because he's produced here at Kansas versus yep. bringing in a running back and saying, Hey, this guy hasn't played it down here. He just showed up. I just saw him move into the dorm two seconds ago and he's got $200,000, you know, what the heck? And so I do think that, you know, you have to, to choose where to fight your battles. And I think that mm-hmm. the way that Kansas is constructing not just this team, but their program in general, I think it makes a lot of sense to not get involved in bidding wars, either in recruiting or the transfer portal, and really kind of, you know, taper that money to your guys that 
you know, are in the program have produced at Kansas so that everybody has something to look at and mm-hmm. nobody feels like, Hey man, like I should be, I should be the one getting paid because I've done more than that guy has here. Yeah, exactly. So Kevin, let's wrap it up here. We can talk about the all American bowl. Sure. We hit it on, on the front end, right? Deshaun Warner had a very good week in San Antonio. Like if you talk to any one of our 24 seven sports guys who were there, Look, they they cover the you know what out of this event. Like they're there at check in. They talk to a lot of guys. They do interviews. They are there at every single practice. Multiple people getting multiple takes. And anybody you talk to has mentioned Deshaun as being one of the guys that has stood out. That in and of itself, considering this is a hundred of some of the best high school players in the country, like that says a lot. And I thought from what I've seen so far, and I've only been able to watch about kind of the first quarter and a half of the game because that was when the KU game started and then I had to focus. Um, I thought Sean looked great. You know, I think it's clear strength is going to be something that is going to determine if he plays early or not. But in terms of athletic twitch, having a nose for the ball, showing the bend around the edge that makes him a a top 247 guy, a four-star recruit, the highest rated player to sign with Kansas as a high school recruit. Like you saw all of that in the game, and I thought he was just so so impressive. And I'm I'm even more excited about watching this guy and what he can do at Kansas. Well, you uh, you're you're gonna get mad when you get into the fourth quarter because Deshaun Warner has a sack where he actually forces a fumble, scoops up the loose ball, and, and would have had a uh, would have had a six, but they blew it dead. Uh, on the play, but it was it was an obvious fumble. The announcers even said the ball is out before the quarterback's down. Deshaun, like I said, he gets up and he grabs the football. He would have been all alone running into the end zone. So, well, so I, I can't wait for I can't wait for you to watch that part where not only does he get the sack, he forces the fumble, he recovers the fumble, and is on his way rumbling into the end zone, and they they blow it dead. But you know, I, I thought there was. You know, he had a tackle for loss on a on a running back where, you know, he wasn't blocked and kind of just chased the running back down, you know, with with he's got great pursuit, you know, and, and everything. And he put a lick on the running back. He he hit the hit the snot out of him. And, and when you when you look at um, he was involved in a couple other tackles for loss, one of them. You know, he he sort of made the play in the backfield, missed the tackle, but his teammates, you know, cleaned it up and and he wound up getting in on the pile another time. Um, he got across the offensive lineman's face, you know, kind of blew things up at the point of attack on, on a tackle for loss. That's something you see a lot on tape with him is his with his quickness, how quickly he's able to get across mm-hmm. an offensive lineman. I think your point on strength is really well put because in, in the fourth quarter, it, it was sort of a, a terrific two-play sequence back-to-back. One, uh, the offensive tackle, uh, who is Kevin Haywood, who's headed to Nebraska – or Nebraska, uh, Wisconsin. He's the number 17 offensive tackle in the country. He actually made 24-7 sports' all-lobby team because he walked in and was just huge. He's – the legitimate 6'7", 300, has 35-inch arms. He didn't get out of his stance quickly, and Warner got to the quarterback, forced the fumble that was blown dead, had the had the sack or whatever. The very next play, and, and on that play, Warner got around the edge. The very next play, Warner starts the outside, works across Haywood, 
and Haywood just kind of locks him up and keeps him where he's at. And Warner won that rep with his quickness in terms of he got where you want to be, but he didn't have the strength to finish it yet. And when you look at what he's going to do in Kansas's weight room, what, you know, Matt Gildersleeve is going to be able to do with him, you know, that's a play that probably would have been a sack as well with a more finished Deshaun Warner from a strength standpoint. And so he showed the quickness, the athleticism, the twitch, all of those things that you really, really want from an elite pass rusher. Once he finishes things up, gets stronger, all of those different things, I think you're only going to see the production jump because some of those plays where he makes the move, the offensive tackle isn't quite there, but he's able to kind of hold him up with one hand or or whatever else. That's not going to be the case anymore. I I thought he had a terrific showing. Yeah, and I think the strength part is going to determine his playing time at Kansas as a freshman. This is something we've been talking about on the VIP board kind of over the last couple of days is the defensive end picture kind of comes more into focus of what it could look like next year for KU. There's a very good possibility that either, you know, Takai Sprinkley or Deshaun Warner are asked to play as freshmen as just rotational guys that can come in on a third down and try and get after the quarterback. And, you know, what I've said is I, I don't know if you can even say which one of the two, is going to be able to do that or if either are going to be able to do that. I don't think anyone's going to know until kind of August 1st of next year when they get out there, the pads are on, they've had a summer of weightlifting to get stronger, and that's when you can kind of see where they're at. You know, it's kind of a a challenge for playing in the trenches as a freshman is so hard because you're playing against guys that have had three, four years of strength conditioning in college, and you're a guy that was in high school. And that's nothing against the weight programs at different high schools across the country, but it's just different. Like it's college football. Like they've got a nutrition plan for you. You know, it's different than when, you know, one of your parents or yourself, you're making your own meals every day. Like it is different when you've got a college nutritionist telling you, Hey, we need to have this much protein, this much carbohydrate, you know, this much fat, this much liquid, like it's just a different level. So I'm fascinated to see how this plays out because I can't predict it right now. I'd love to sit up here and tell you that Deshaun Warner is going to come and play as a freshman and be a star player for Kansas. But I don't know because it's going to all depend on a, how much weight he's able to put on between now and this, when he arrives in, in June and how he is able to acclimate. We've heard the coaches talk about it too, with someone like Keaton Kubeka who came into Kansas from one of the most winning high school programs in high school football. He knew how to prepare every single day for practice, how to eat right, how to treat his body right, right, how to do all those things. That's what made him a guy that got snaps in the what three of the first four games of the season. Sure. You know, and all these factors are what will go into someone playing early. And it's just too early for me to say if Deshaun, Dakias, any of these guys, if they're going to be able to play early like that. Yeah, and you don't know, you know, who's going to add weight really easily you don't know who i mean a lot of that stuff is you just don't know you know some of these guys they come in and they had 10 or 15 pounds like that and you know that may not sound like a ton or whatever but you take a guy like dak brinkley who's 220 Mm -hmm. or 225 playing at 220 or 225 is way different than playing at 235 240 as a defensive end And, and you know you i i thought you hit the nail right on the head with even the nutritionist part of it you know, 
some high school recruits, not all of them, some of them, they, they use protein shakes, you know, before or after they lift. Like I said, not all of them. Some of them do. At Kansas, your protein shake is specifically tailored for you individually and the goals that they have for you and where you need to take your body. It's different. It just is like it's, and that's, you know, not counting the, the workouts that they have you doing the, you know, the way that they, you know, break down your calories over the course of the day and what they want you, everything is so individually tailored uh, to, to get there. And so, you know, it, it may be that Deshaun Warner comes in, adds weight and strength like that, and he's ready to go right away. It may be that it takes him a little while longer. Mm -hmm. And it's just something that I don't think we know. I'm not sure KU knows, you know, in terms of, hey, how's this guy's body going to take to this? But uh, stuff like that is going to determine who sees the field early, if it's any of them. You know, it, it may be that they don't quite get there, and it may be that Kansas is rolling through with, you know, insert transfer portal defensive end and Dylan Brooks here. And, you know, Davion Westmoreland is getting the fifth most reps of that group or, or whatever, you know, it it could Mm -hmm. be, it could be that. And those guys might wind up sitting or it might be, Hey, these guys really took to our program. They really understood how to prepare their, you know, their understanding on third downs. We want that guy on the field rushing the passer. Uh, even though it's yeah. a really important down. And, and so I think that'll be interesting to watch. The The thing that you have to do, like you said earlier on this podcast, you want the ball of clay. And Deshaun Warner's a really nice ball of clay. <laughs> that he is. That he is. Well, Kevin, I think I can do it for this podcast. Got some good recruiting talk in. Don't yeah. know what we'll talk about next week or the week after, but we'll figure that out in due time. Um, thanks as always for tuning in to the fog.net podcast if you're watching on youtube make sure you're liking the videos subscribing to the channel i'll say it again got to get to where kobe bryant is in terms of channel <laughs> subscribers jalen daniels has a youtube every channel week, now too kevin yeah everyone is joining the youtube gang got it got to catch up to the ku players and can't let jalen pass us too fast um so you know, make sure we're, subscribing I, to the i was channel. gonna say we're gonna need to do some sort of like event or or you know YouTube mixer <laughs> type thing or, or whatever to, to take advantage of this stuff. Yeah. I got to do something. Do, 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 a, do, something. do a co-show with Kobe or something uh, that we can run on both channels. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be entertaining. That'd be really entertaining. Well, that would but be entertaining. Th- thanks for listening. If you're listening on the podcast platform of your choice, make sure you're also leaving ratings and reviews. Those go a long way. And helping us in the algorithm, which allows us to reach more Kansas football fans. So thanks as always for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next time. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.